Very good morning to you. If you'd like to grab your seats and your donuts and your coffee and I don't know where I am. My name is Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. And together we attempt to lead this amazing church, the Southwest London Vineyard. Uh, it's lovely to see you here this morning. And welcome particularly to the students. If any of the students are here, I hope you've all survived freshers, week, and uh, not too bleary-eyed. And um, if you are a student and you're here, you're visiting, or you're whatever, um, we'd love to feed you. Very mindful of the fact our, our second son has just started at university. He's in Manchester. And so we're very particularly conscious of the importance of feeding students and nourishing them. So um, if you are a student here, you're more than welcome to join us after the service. We're going to get some pizza in. If you're not a student, you're not allowed to eat pizza. I know, I know. You have to come up, you have to come up with some other excuse. Um, if you've got a Bible, uh, dig it out and uh, turn to Hebrews. We'll get to that in a minute. Last week, if you were here, we celebrated the 30th anniversary of this church, which was great. Uh, it was wonderful to see so many new faces, so many familiar faces. We kind of all got together and we just celebrated all that God has done in and through this church over the past 30 years. And we heard from John and Eleanor Mumford, they weren't able to be here with us. They, they planted the church 30 years ago, they weren't able to be with us, uh, but they sent us a, a video greeting. And, and in that, they were, they were quoting John Wimber. And John Wimber was the chap who started this family, this stream of churches called the Vineyard. And Wimber used to say regarding the future, he would say, take the best and go. And by that, what Wimber meant, what John and Ellie were sort of saying to us, is that we're to be conscious of the past, but we're not to be shackled by it, was, I think, John's language. And sort of what that means is, is we're to take the best of what God has done in the past, and, but we're to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us now. We're to be listening out and paying attention to the Spirit of God and walking in step with the Spirit of God and, and, and stepping into and going out and doing what God is calling us to now. And so, um, you know, with any milestone celebration, it, I mean, it's only right that we take a moment, that we pause, that we stop, that we look back, that we remember. We remember the ways in which so many of us have been blessed over the years through the ministry of this church, the ways in which so many of the people that we know their lives have been blessed, the ways in which countless lives have been impacted by the breakthrough of the kingdom of God, through what God has done in and through this church. But more importantly even, is that this time, the season that we're in, this around the 30th anniversary, this is a time for looking forward. This is a time for us to be looking ahead. This is a time for us to be taking the counsel of John Wimber, to be taking the counsel of John and Eleanor, and taking the best of what's been, and pressing in and pressing ahead to all the things that the Lord is calling us into for the next 30 years. So whilst we love the past and all that the Lord has done in the past, we, we don't live there. 
We don't live there. But instead, what we do is we look ahead. We look forward. We look forward with eager anticipation to all that the Lord has in store for us, all the things that the Lord is calling us into, the ways in which the Lord would have us grow, the ways in which the Lord would have us press more into him, the ways in which he would have um, more and more lives impacted by the wonderful person of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven breaking through. And so... There's a, there's a thing the Lord is doing with us, and it's, he's calling us to look ahead, to look forward with eager anticipation to all that he has in store for us. So we kind of find ourselves at this sort of slightly odd place. You know, it's a sort of time for looking back over the last 30 years, but it's also a time for looking ahead. And so we're back in one of those um, very familiar tensions of the kingdom. Uh, we kind of live in tension where we're sort of holding two sometimes polar opposite things in tension. So we're familiar in the vineyard with things like, you know, the now and the not yet, or sort of, you know, um, both, like both and. These two kind of ends of a spectrum. And so for us, uh, we're living in this tension between sort of looking back and looking ahead. And the question for us as a church is, is how do we, how do we do it? How do we, how are we supposed to do that? How, how are we supposed to take time to look back whilst at the same time looking ahead? It, it's quite tricky. How do we do it at least without getting like some kind of crick in our neck and then ending up in months of physiotherapy with backache? Well, uh, as always, we turn to the scriptures for our counsel. Scriptures are our plumb line, they are our gold standard, they are the, the foundation upon which we stand. And so let's have a look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll have a look at just a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 11, then we'll look at some of Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, let's start in chapter 11, verse 1. And Hebrews 11, famous chapter, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. And, and then if you read the rest of that chapter, what happens is the writer of Hebrews goes on in this chapter to list uh, the names of heroes of the faith down throughout the ages. Um, heroes of the faith who were people commended by God for trusting in him. People commended by God for having faith in him. For basically looking in the right direction. And so you've got this long list and you can read it at your leisure. Uh, or if you get bored with me, you can keep reading. Um, so you've got this long list and it includes people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. All these people, all these kind of heroes of the faith, they're all in there. People who trusted in God, people known for their faith, people who kept looking in the right direction. And then if you have a look at chapter 12, this is what, how chapter 12 starts. Chapter 12 starts after this long list of all these heroes of the faith. Chapter 12 starts with, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these guys in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and lets us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter 
of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we're talking about where we should be looking, if we want to know which direction uh, we're supposed to be focusing in and turning our attention to where we're supposed to focus our energies, on whom we are to keep our eyes on, the writer of Hebrews says, he says three things, I think. First of all, he says we need to look up. Uh, Verse uh, two, I think it's uh, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. It says that we need to look back. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. And then finally, he says, we need to look forward, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So if we're wanting to know what the Lord has for us over the next 30 years in the life of this church, as a church, as individuals, as a, as a fellowship of believers, as the communion of the saints, we are to be a people who look up, who look back, who look forward. And so what happens is the both and becomes the sort of the both, you know, the the all and. So we're called to look up. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, this isn't really about um, faith so much as it's about focus. This isn't um, just about... Sometimes we think about faith and it's like, oh, I must try a little harder, try a little harder. So we're trying to kind of frenzy ourselves up to getting a little bit more faith, squeeze a little bit more faith out of ourselves. You know, it's willing ourselves to find what is the magic formula of faith. Really, this is, this is all about focus because our faith is actually about focus. Putting our focus on Jesus. Because any faith that we actually have Um, actually comes from the faithfulness of God to us. And so the more we focus on him, the more we see who he is, the more we see who Jesus is, the more we understand his character, the more we see Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom at work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us, the more we find ourselves living with faith. The more we find ourselves living with confidence and hope and certainty about things that we sometimes can't really see. When we're not sure where we should be looking, we just need to look up and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If we want more faith in our lives, actually what we need to do is we need to shift our focus, change where our attention is. Because it's as we adjust our focus um, and we shift them from our own circumstances, from our own difficulties, our own challenges, sometimes which can be hugely difficult, and we focus more on Jesus, um, we suddenly discover somehow that we've got more faith. Like, hmm, where did that come from? I think it was Mark Twain who famously said, I've had lots of worries in my life, in my life most of which have never happened. You see, because our perspective on things is incredibly important. The way that we look at the things in our lives is incredibly important. And so what happens is we, we, we turn our attention 
And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, all kinds of amazing things happen. You know, the, there's that incredible chorus of a hymn, I think it is. It's, you know, it's um, turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's, that's it in a nutshell. What I, what I love about this is that as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we look full in his wonderful face. All the things of this earth, the things that we're struggling with, the things that we're finding difficult, the things that we're wrestling with and grappling with, they suddenly grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's an amazing thing. It's part of the sovereign and supernatural work of the kingdom. Whenever we spend time thinking about Jesus, when we turn our attention to Jesus, we fix our eyes on Jesus and we consider him. We think about how amazing he is, how loving he is, how kind, how faithful. Whenever we spend or invest our time thinking about the amazing things that he's done um, in and through our lives, the difficulties and the challenges and the problems that we're facing, they don't necessarily go away. The challenge is often still remain. The problems are usually often still there. But in the light of his presence, in the light of his glory and grace, they've kind of grown strangely dim. And we suddenly find ourselves with a whole new perspective on life. And for me personally, my experience is that I begin to shift from grumbling and complaining, which I'm brilliant at. Right? And I kind of move into thanksgiving. And I can tell when I haven't really been fixing my eyes on Jesus because I'm, you know, miserable, right? And then kind of as I fix my eyes on Jesus and turn my attention to him, some of that grumbling and complaining just kind of goes away. Have you ever had anyone come up to you and say, oh, I wish I had your faith. <gasps> Gosh, it's marvelous. Look at your faith. I mean, I'd love to have something. It must be lovely to have your faith. You know, as if it's something that you just sort of stumbled across in the car park and said, oh, look, faith. I'll pick that up. I'll put something in my pocket. How marvelous, you know. Um, it doesn't work like that. You know, Jesus wants to give it to us. And the reality is that we've all got faith in something or someone. Um, but if we put our faith in ourselves, we will disappoint ourselves in, in record time uh, if we put our faith in i don't know success that's not going to last you know at some point we will fail if we put our faith in some system the system is going to let us down if we put our faith in jesus if you put your faith in jesus he will never leave you he will never forsake you he will never let you down he will turn every weakness into strength if we will only allow him to move in our lives and that's the testimony of billions of followers of Jesus over the last countless number of years. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, life suddenly actually begins to work. If you want to know more about things that are confusing, things that you don't understand, things that don't make any sense, can I encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus? Consider him. Turn your attention to him. Not on the stuff that you're not getting. Fix your eyes on him and things start to fall into place. You look at Jesus, the model of Jesus. Jesus fixed his eyes on the Father. Jesus regularly took time out to pray. He, Jesus pursued the Father's presence. 
He prayed. He got up early to pray. You know, before he made decisions, he prayed. Before he walks on water, he prays. Before he goes to the cross, he prays. Jesus was a man of prayer, but he only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying. And as he focused on the Father, he found faith for his ministry. How much more do we need to focus on him? That's why we worship. That's why we gather like this. So that we can come together as the fellowship of the saints and fix our eyes corporately as the body of Christ on Jesus. You can do it at home in your garden. It's a bit lonely. Not very biblical. But you can do it. Something about being here together. Spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Come together so that we can fix our eyes on him. That's why we have the cross. Kind of right at the center in the middle of this random school hall. Come along. Bring other people with you. Bring other people with you so that they can, in turn, fix their eyes on Jesus. They can get a glimpse of his goodness and his grace. Come along to a small group. There's a whole bunch of small groups going on. These are great ways for us to fix our eyes on Jesus in the midst of our hectic schedules and hectic weeks. Spend time, carve out time to read the scriptures. This book is so incredibly important. We keep saying it. We need to know what's in this book. This is our manual, our guidebook. It's our instruction manual. Every single thing in here is worth digesting and meditating on and cogitating on and reading and knowing. We don't know which direction that we should be looking in. We just to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we won't go too wrong. So, my gosh, we're to look up. But it doesn't end there. Uh, We're to look back as well. Um, Verse uh, 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses... The truth is, the reality is, whether we can see it or not, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these heroes of the faith who've set an example to us for the direction in which we should be looking. Um, For those of us here in this church, um, it's been people like John and Ellie Mumford, people like John and Debbie Wright, so many of the people who were here with us last week, so many of the people who are here in this room, people like David and Romy who have set an example to us to help us learn which direction we're supposed to be putting our energy and our focus and our attention. Because you look at these people and you go, oh, where are they looking? Is that you when you're a street corner and you know someone looks, you just stand there and look up. And everyone else walks past and they're like, kind of looking up to see what they're looking at. And they're probably not looking at anything. That's what it's like. We're surrounded by these people and the people who've been in this church who've just been standing there looking up at Jesus. And as we walk past, we're going, what are they looking at? uh, Oh gosh, they're looking at Jesus. Amazing. The writer of Hebrews calls this a great cloud of witnesses. And the image here is really of a stadium. You know, Olympic Stadium, you know, with the athletes on the track. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of thousands of people cheering us on. And you, we've all seen what that looks like. We've seen what, that's, what it's like when someone is cheered on by the crowd. You know, they're kind of limping in, like dragging their heels and their feet. And they're like, oh, I'm making it, I can't make it. And the crowd suddenly, because we love an underdog, crowd like suddenly goes wild. 
And suddenly they find this energy and this resolve from somewhere to get across the finishing line. You are being cheered on right now. You are being encouraged and supported and egged on by thousands upon thousands of heroes of the faith. Kierkegaard said, life is lived forward and understood backwards. If we're going to persevere, if we are going to press on, if we're going to press in with all of the challenges that we're going to face, that we are facing, we need to know that we're not alone. When we don't know where to look, we need someone cheering us on and saying, look up, look up, keep going. The finish line is just ahead, keep going, it's not far, you can do it. We look back and we see that we're being cheered on by these saints. We're being cheered on by these heroes of the faith. We're being cheered on, on by, you know, what's gone before. You, you make a decision. You make a, a small decision to do the right thing, to, to follow Jesus. And maybe nobody else sees it. Trust me, there is this great cloud of witnesses that roar into action and see that small thing that you did. And they're cheering you on and they're going, come on, go for it. Awesome. There's this little party that kicks off in section G, rows 7 to 15 or something. We all need this great cloud of witnesses to cheer us on. And it's not just all the dead people. It's not all the people who, you know, it's not like the old lot who've all died. It's people who are here today. People here will cheer you on. There are people here, people you're sat next to. Who will encourage you to be sure of of what you hope for and certain of that which you can't see. People will come alongside you and spur you on to love and good works when um, faith and facts sort of don't measure up for you. People like um, people like David and Wendy. People like David and Wendy are phenomenal encouragers, heroes of the faith who spur us all on to love and good deeds. But I don't know which way's up. It's people like David and Wendy, just through the model of their life, tell me which way's up. And I go, okay, that makes sense. They can go through any kind of challenging situation, and yet they remain absolutely rooted and grounded in their love and their conviction and their certainty around who Jesus is. And that's, for me, that's like a massive encouragement. Helps me put things in perspective. People like Joan Becky. Joan Becky just in constantly encouraging all these people in their small groups and all the people around them. Constantly spurring them on, encouraging them, helping them, helping us all see the difference between fact and faith. Because we were looking at circumstances like it doesn't make sense. People like Joan Becky come along and say, no, 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 hold on, you're looking at this wrong way around. Let me reflect some of this stuff, stuff back to you. People like Robert and Camilla. I mean, people, um, the prayers, so many amazing prayers. People like Sarah and, and Judy, people who are praying, such, such godly men and women in this church, you're surrounded by amazing heroes of the faith. If you're thinking, you know, well, to be honest, I don't really know how I feel about having a great cloud of witnesses witnessing my every move. Um, some of my moves aren't particularly spectacular. Um, Quite the opposite, particularly the ones that no one else can see. Um, so if you're sat there thinking, well, uh, I'm not really in the same league as these great heroes of the faith. Well, um, the good news is that the heroes of the faith aren't really in a position to kind of make too many judgments. 
You know, they're not actually in a position, they might be heroes of the faith, but they're not in a position to kind of wag fingers at you and say, oh dear, that wasn't a good idea. They're not not in a position themselves to be disapproving. Because you look back at Hebrews 11 and this list of heroes of the faith, um, they weren't exactly blameless. You know, and so uh, Noah was a drunk, Rahab was a prostitute, Sarah was a cynic, Jacob was a cheat, Moses was a murderer, Gideon was a coward, Samson was a womanizer, David uh, fathered an illegitimate child. Um, These heroes of the faith weren't saints in that sense of the word. They were just ordinary people like you and me. Ordinary people like the people sat around you. The difference is they tried to keep looking in the right direction. Ordinary people who said yes to God and who tried to say yes to God again and again and again and again. And when they blew it, they repented. They said sorry. They turned their eyes back in the right direction. And then they said yes to God all over again. That's called perseverance. Please don't discount yourself because you mess up. I encounter so many people through pastoral ministry who have ruled themselves out of ministry, doing anything for the sake of the king and the kingdom because they've messed up and they've discounted themselves. Please don't discount yourself because you've messed up. You can still be, you still are a hero in the faith. And some of the ways to think about this I I find quite helpful is to think about this all like sort of like a sat-nav. you know, you, you, you've got your sat-nav, you've put in your destination, and then off you go, and you're merrily on your way. However, in life, if you're anything like me, when I'm driving my car with my sat-nav telling me where to go, um, I decide, actually, I know better than the sat-nav. And the sat-nav doesn't actually really know where it's going. And when it says it's the quickest way, it can't possibly be the quickest way because I know a better way. And so um, what I do when I'm driving is I take a turn, you know, to the left or to the right. Or it may be that you're chatting and you're busy. I I did that. We were driving our son up to Manchester, um, University, and we got chatting in the car. And I took, we were coming home, and then I took the um, motorway north (laughs) rather than south Um, and it happened to be the longest stretch of the M6 or whatever it was without one of those turnaroundy places and so we drove 25 miles north and then drove 25 miles south again we had an interesting conversation in the car over that one Um, Basically, you end up off-piste, as it were. Uh, uh, or at least you're not going in the direction the gadget would, would have you. Now, um, Sat and I say very many annoying things. They are really irritating. Um, but one thing that they don't say is, what the hell are you doing? Like, what did you, like, sorry, what did, what did you do that for? I, I, don't think I, I don't think I said turn right. Hello, excuse me. Are you listening to me? I didn't, say, I, didn't, I didn't tell you to go down there. Like, what are you, where are you going? I, I didn't say anything. You were supposed to keep going. Are you, are you paying attention at all? What are you doing? Where are you going? Uh, Satnavs don't say, okay, right. You seem to be so willful and disobedient. Do you want to go it alone? I'll let you go it alone. I'm, I'm checking out. You know? Or, or they don't sort of say, huh, 
You're lost now, aren't you? You haven't got a clue where you are. You've no idea. I know. I know where I am. I know where I'm going. I have all the information and all the power, and you know nothing because you don't know how to read a map anymore because you've been relying on me for the last 30 years. Uh, Serves you right. Good luck. I hope you find your way to wherever it is you're going. And then this sort of thing kind of goes, powers down, switches off, and Sally the sat-nav goes into a sulk. Does your sat-nav have a name? Does your sat-nav have a name? What? Like our sat is like is actually a person. It's Sally. She lives in our car. Do you not? She's not very good. Um, she's very charming, though. Anyway, what am I saying? You're lost. You're now lost. You don't know where you are. You don't know how to get to where it is you're supposed to be going. You've gone wrong. You've taken the wrong turn. What does the sat-nav actually do? Recalculating. Recalculating route. And this little kind, affirming, reassuring instruction says, you're an idiot. But... I'll recalculate the route for you. And it recalculates and recalculates and it recalibrates. And usually, in my experience, there's an instruction that very quickly comes along and says, make a (laughs) U-turn. Because I usually am going not just wrong, but in completely the wrong direction. But basically what a sat-nav does is it works out where you are And then it works out what's the best way to get you from where you are to where you need to be. You see, some of us are like, you know, I've blown it this time. I've made a decision. I've made a bad decision. I've made a wrong choice. I've made a wrong turn. You know, there's all this stuff in my life that I haven't dealt with. I don't know how to deal with it. God doesn't say to you, oh, well, you're stuffed. Yeah, that's beyond me. Like, I, I, I I can only help good people. I can't help people who've kind of, like gone off the rails like I, I don't do that I mean I'm only God God doesn't say I can't help anymore God, God doesn't even say okay well you spectacularly stuffed that's up you now need to go back to the beginning you need to go back to go you need to go back to the start you need to start all over again and maybe this time you know, you'll get it right do you think you could stay on track this time that's not how God works God says Okay, hold on. Just take a second. Where are you now? Gosh, how did you get there? It's okay. Don't worry. Just give me a moment. I will work out the best way to get you from where you are now to where you want to be. That's what he does. That's his grace and that's his mercy. And Jesus in that moment just says, all I need you to do right now is just say yes to me right now. Because if you say yes to me right now, we'll get you back on track. Just don't say no to me and go off on another route. But if you do, I'll get you back on track. Let's get going. We've got work to do. Faith says yes to God. Just keep your eyes looking up to Jesus. Looking back to this great cloud of witnesses. Just keep saying yes to Jesus. Okay, so we're to look up, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're to look back, inspired and, and, and cheered on and encouraged by this great cloud of witnesses, by all those who have gone uh, before. And then lastly, we're to look forward. We're to look ahead. We're to look forward. Verse 1 of chapter 12, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
You see, because there is a race marked out for us to run. There's a race marked out for you to run. There's a race marked out for this church to run. There is a call upon your life. There is a vision that God has you. you look back in, um, in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, he, he, this thriving hub of the city, uh, and goes off into the wilderness. He goes off to a place that God would show him. doesn't even know really where he's going. Why? Because God has given him this vision of a better city, an even better city. Look at Jesus. Jesus endured the cross. Why? For the joy, 12, for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross because he could see the joy that was set before him. If we don't have a sense of what's ahead, if we don't have a vision for what's coming, we will find it hard to persevere when things get tough. And if we don't have a a vision, if you don't have a, a, a vision or a sense of what's next, find somebody else and serve their vision. Serve their vision, and then God will give you a vision of your own in your own, in, a, in your own time. You see, this whole thing, this whole following Jesus, this whole thing about Christianity, is supposed to be this great adventure. It's like epic boys' own adventure stuff. You, you know, it's like you're in the thick of the, the Lord of the Rings, or you're right in the midst of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or you're, you're like center stage in the Matrix. You know, it's like you are Frodo Baggins. You are King Peter or Queen Susan or Neo or whoever you want to be. That's what it's supposed to be like. We're on this huge adventure, epic stuff every single day. Every single day we wake up, it's like, wow, what's God got for me today? It's crazy. You wake up and you're, you're right in it. You're right in the, this epic battle to save Middle Earth. And that is at your workplace or it's, that's at the school gate or it's on your street or with your family. It's everywhere we go, we are to see the kingdom of God extended at our fingertips. It's kind of like all that magic stuff. The miracles. That's all at our disposal. We can kind of prophesy over people in waitrose. We can heal the sick and cast out their demons. It's like, it's mega. Wimber, as you know, he's about faith. Um, he said faith is about risk, R-A-S-K. We're called to be risk takers. We're, we're supposed to be willing to take risks because every act of obedience, every yes to God along the journey, it is like a stone being dropped uh, into a, a pool of, of water, a pond of water. And you, you get all these ripples that start to come out from it. And the ripples go out and they change lives. When we say yes to God, the ripples that come out from that change lives. And, and sometimes and most often it's the, the ones that we least expect. The, the, the rock that got dropped into the pond where those ripples actually turn into waves. And they run for years, decades, if not centuries. Just because one person said a simple yes to God. And the people in this church, there are so many people here who just say yes to God. And it it causes ripples. People like Peter and Jenny, they're not here, are they? Fantastic. I can talk about them, they're not here. Peter and Jenny, this phenomenal example of people who say yes to God. Sometimes, again, in the midst of incredibly challenging situations and circumstances. But every time they've said yes to God... Whether they're aware of it or not, there's like this rock and stone that's dropped into water. And the ripples of the kingdom of God 
that are emanating out from their yeses to Jesus are impacting the lives of hundreds of people. Seeing it week in, week out, it's phenomenal. And people like Patrick and Kim, people like Patrick and Kim who are just saying yes to God and God's call on their lives to step into leadership and influencing other people. Dramatically seeing a difference as the kingdom of God is extended. Um, people like Mike and Lindsay. Where would we be without Mike and Lindsay? Like, Mike, like where would we be as a church? Mike and Lindsay every single day um, make choices and decisions and yeses for God that most of us never even would know about. Where they go over and above the call of duty. Way over and above what we employ Mike to do. To serve God by serving this church and by serving you. We could go on. There's so many people. Ryan and Anya. Ryan and Anya setting aside all the stuff that's going on in their lives and saying, yes, we will step up and we will take on the leadership of Sozo Ministry because we think it's amazing and we want to do whatever we can to see the kingdom of God extended in the lives of other people. People like Dave and Sam. Dave and Sam like lead these really majorly, hectically busy lives. There are like days like traveling nonstop. Sam's got so many things going on. They're not only attending the marriage course, but they're choosing to carry on running like this amazing house group that's just like creating life for all these people that have been coming along to it we've got um all these people like praying praying day in day out for this church people like dorian and iris and and claudine and katie and all these amazingly faithful people who just say yes to god i'm gonna do this because i think it's going to have an impact in the lives of this church and the lives of other people Wonderful examples of faithful men and women of God, time and time again, just saying a simple yes to God, because that's all it is. But what they're doing is every time they say a simple yes to Jesus, they're dropping these stones into this water and seeing these ripples come out and affect the lives of so many other people and seeing lives changed. And we're so incredibly grateful for that. We're so glad that the people in this church are hearing from God about what it looks like for us as a church to move forward, to hearing from God, not just about the past 30 years, but about the next 30 years and about the now and the here and the now and what's God saying to us as a church in this moment. We've got people who said yes to God. They're starting to pray at the yard for the people in the local area. We've got people who said yes to God and said, okay, I don't really know very much about English apart from the fact that I can speak it. So I'm going to open up the yard and I'm going to start teaching some of the refugees, asylum seekers, people around the country, around the yard and around the estate who can't speak English or don't know how to speak English. I'm going to help them learn English. I'm just saying yes to Jesus and seeing the lives of people transformed just by teaching them flipping English crazy people stepping out we've got 25 couples all these incredible people who've stepped out in faith this is really being sure of what you hope for and you know certain of what you don't see stepping out in faith and joining this marriage course that we're running they're running they join this marriage course they don't even know like what this marriage course is like or what it's going to be like they stepped out in faith because they want to invest in their marriages and therefore have an impact on the lives of the people around them remarkable we're so glad that 30 years ago, John and Anna Mumford said yes to the Lord when he said to them, go and plant a church in the southwest part of London that will plant other churches. We're incredibly grateful to the fact that the southwest London, this church was birthed. That little decision to say yes to God was a little drop in the pool that's still the ripples of just going on and on and on. There's now like this kind of worldwide movement. There are churches that have been springing up all over the place. 
Because of their yes, their simple one yes to God. Yes, we'll go back to London and plant a church. I don't know how to plant a church. We'll do it. And they started with four of them. John and Annie, Marks and James. That was it. That was the church planting team. It started something that has had an impact. The, the length and breadth of these islands. This is, these are exciting times we live in. Sometimes I think we, we're not aware of that. This is an exciting time to be a, a Christian. This is an exciting time to be in London. This is an exciting time to be part of this church. God is sending us some remarkable new people. There are so many wonderful new people coming towards this church. You know, if you're students and you're here because you want free pizza, that's okay, right? We will feed you. But students, we need you. Like students add such an incredible dimension and richness to the church family. And so we want you to be part of this church. Not just kind of like people who just show up and eat pizza. You can do that. But we want you to get stuck in. We want you to contribute. We want you to add value. Because God has gifted you as students with a perspective and a, and a way of looking at things that's different to the way the rest of us look at it. And you'll show us some of our blind spots. You'll show us some of the things that we're missing out on. So we want you to come and be part of this church, not just to sit as a bum on a seat, but just to come and be part of what God is calling us into. In, um, I need to finish. In Shakespeare's Tempest, Caliban, I think, he, he, he utters what might only be described as a prophetic word for the nation. And he, says, he says this, Be not afeard, the isle is full of noises. Be not afeared, the isle is full of noises. One of the most common commands in the Bible is, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And sometimes we need to... Ask ourselves, you know, have we got ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to this church in this moment right now? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You see, when we celebrate an occasion like a 30th anniversary, especially when that anniversary is coupled with yet another church plant. Some of us who've been around here for nearly 30 years, we've seen a lot of church plants go. Last Sunday, we commissioned our 16th church plant. Sometimes it's really easy, particularly for those of us who've been around for any length of time, it's really easy for us to get nostalgic. And we see the people and the friends that we've known and loved over the years, and we go, oh, I remember the good old days. I remember how it was. Do you remember how it was? And we get nostalgic, and we recreate a past that probably never existed. We talk about the good old days. Um, but they probably weren't actually that good. But they are in our memory, in our collective memory. Um, and, and sort of with that nostalgia, sometimes comes a bit of sadness, a bit of loss, reminded of our grief, the sacrifice, the cost. And then it's not too big a step to fear, where we suddenly become afraid. And it's like, oh, what's happened? What's happening? The sky's falling in. Oh, my gosh, look how different things are. We are to look ahead. We are to look forward. We are not to be afraid. We are not to give in to nostalgia. We're not to give in to fear or to loss or to grief. Because this is a time for hope. This is a time for confidence. This is a time and a season for faith. This is a time for us as individuals and as a church to be looking in the right direction. This is a time for us to be looking up and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes, we are to look back 
at that great cloud of witnesses. But that great cloud of witnesses are cheering us on. They're not saying, come and join us in the stands. They're saying, run the race, run the race, you're nearly there. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Oh gosh, how I wish I was still in that race with you. Instead of in my little village, parish, church in the countryside somewhere. It's a time to look back and see that great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. It's a time to look forward in all that the Lord has for us, all that he has in store for us, all that he's calling us into. This is a time for us to be walking by faith, not by sight. God is calling us as a church to look at what's going on in and through this church through eyes of faith, not necessarily what's immediately in front of us. It's a time for us to believe that he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. It's a time for us to believe that Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That Jesus Christ is building this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a time for us to believe that the cross actually matters. It's a time for us to believe that Jesus Christ actually raised from the dead. It's a time for us to believe that Jesus is coming again. Aslan is on the move. John and Ellie ended their video greeting to us uh, last week with a slightly amended version. I was glad he amended it when I found out what Churchill actually said. Um, A slightly amended version of Churchill's words, a KPO. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. That was John's counsel to us as a church, and it's good counsel. Keep pressing on people. Why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another.